Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, Season 3. This podcast is for and about people getting ready for their first ever pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago in Spain, France, and Portugal. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. In this episode of the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, I am going to challenge your idea of what it means to be a pilgrim on the road to Santiago, and if it even matters if you consider yourself a pilgrim when you go to the Camino. Hi, this is Nancy coming to you from the Stone Boat Guest House in Rabanal del Camino on the Camino Frances where I am one of two writers in residence this week, enjoying a cold, rainy writing retreat. But it is warm and cozy inside from the heat of the wood-burning stove and the wonderful company and conversation. This week, I am sharing the stone boat with Bibi Barami, author of the Moon Camino de Santiago guidebook, Bibi is walking the Camino preparing for updates for the next edition of her beautiful guidebook, and she is pausing for a week to write, work on two new travel narrative books, and reflect on her journey so far. Bibi and I share a love for helping first-time pilgrims get started on their own unique Camino journeys. And Bibi is especially gifted at helping pilgrims find all the historical and cultural good stuff along the Frances route. I hope to bring you a conversation with Bibi in one of my upcoming episodes. While I am at the stone boat, I am writing a lot of content for the pilgrims who have signed up to start their pilgrimages with me next year. This week, I'm planning for our first monthly Zoom call, where we will get specific and personal on their plans for walking the Camino. In case you're not familiar with the groups I lead, I'll share a bit about them. I noticed a while back that the most difficult part of walking the Camino was simply getting started. How do you overcome those crazy nerves or outright fear of traveling alone to saint jean pied port and then walking over the Pyrenees on your own? Wait, even before that, how do you figure out how to get from your home to saint jean in the most direct or economical way possible. How do you prepare physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for this big of a journey? See, this podcast takes you through the big decisions you need to make so you can begin to plan and prepare to walk the Camino. But how do you go from there to your first steps on the trail? That's where I can help. I help pilgrims get started. If you are thinking you would like some additional assistance getting ready for your first pilgrimage on the Camino Frances past what this podcast can provide, I would love to hear from you. I'm putting together two fabulous groups for next year, one for May and one for September, and I would love for you to join us. If you sign up this week, you will be able to join one of our first group Zoom calls, where we will be digging into the details on how to know how much time you need for your entire Camino, how far to walk each day, and how to plan your stages and overall itinerary. Our first group Zoom calls are scheduled for Thursday, October 26th and Saturday, October 28th. And you have to be fully registered for one of the groups to attend. There's still time. How? Easy. Go to my website, thecaminoexperience.com, and go to the page called Walk With Me. There you will find all the details about the group and also the button to click to let me know you are interested. I also have the link in the show notes for this episode. I also want to mention that I have only four spots left in my group that starts in saint jean pied port on May 11th. Will you take one of those spots? 
If you are listening to this episode after October 2023, you also can go to my website to find out what else I have going on for first-time pilgrims. Again, that's thecaminoexperience.com. Before I get to my guest for today, I want to circle back to the writing retreat I mentioned before and share some thoughts on being in this part of the Camino and on being on the Camino in what is considered off-season. This is my second time tucking into the Stone Boat guest house to work on my writing and creative projects. I was here last year for six weeks in November and December, and this time I am here for three weeks, October carrying into November. I love being in the heart of this Camino village, six kilometers from the village of Fontebadon and eight kilometers from the Cruz de Ferro, or Iron Cross. Being on the Camino means that life is simple. Each day I get up, have breakfast and a coffee, write some, take a walk through the village, maybe visit the small supermarket or chat to pilgrims as they pass by, write some more in the afternoon, of course eat a couple times in there, all the while tending the fire in the wood stove. The next day, I do that all again. I need that simple life right now. As I record this, pilgrims are walking past my window, hidden under rain ponchos, head down, taking one wet step after the next, as they head up the mountain in the rain towards the Cruz de Ferro. In case you don't know, the cross is the place where pilgrims set down their burdens. For some pilgrims, this is a heavy moment, filled with the weight of all they've been carrying, the weight of loss, heartbreak, mistakes, regrets, grudges, and resentments. One Camino tradition is for each pilgrim to carry a rock from home or the start of the trail to represent the burdens they set down when they reach the cross. It could also be a memento of some kind, a photo, a small flag, a scarf, or a written message. I visit the cross every time I'm in the area, but not to set down my own personal burdens. I kind of think I walked those off years ago. Now I go there to pray. This time I went to the cross to say a prayer for peace for those who are laboring and suffering under the burden of war and for the political turmoil in my own country. I know I can pray anywhere, but there is something significant for me in praying at the Cruz de Ferro, something poignant. Maybe it's the sense of community I feel at the cross, knowing that hundreds of thousands of pilgrims have passed at its base and reflected on what is truly important to them. Perhaps it's that I feel the depth of the Camino experience there, the love and respect pilgrims have for the pilgrimage and one another. And I'm so close to the cross right now, just eight kilometers away. That helps. Whatever it is, what I do know is that when the daily news is wearing me down, which it is right now, I need to connect with my community, to spend time in nature, and to tap into my creativity. These things and more are what the Camino has given me over the years. With all the awful, scary, intense things going on in the world right now, I believe that we need the Camino as much or more than ever. We need to know that we are part of a larger community that thrives on kindness, compassion, and encouraging and uplifting others. We need the global community of pilgrims. And that, my friend, is you. So, if you are planning to walk the Camino in the next year or so, I encourage you to keep on planning, keep your dream alive, and continue to imagine yourself on the road to Santiago, all the while tending to your pilgrim heart. And if you need a retreat, know that the Stone Boat is a wonderful refuge right on the Camino. And in the meantime, find those moments of connection and camaraderie where you are. Let's get our pilgrim selves out there in our communities, families, and circles of friends. And may your way be well lit. 
To find out more about those self-guided winter retreats at the Stoneboat Guesthouse, check out their website. It's an easy one, thestoneboat.com. Look for the menu tab called Writing Retreats. I have that website for you in the show notes. And also don't forget to stop by my website if you'd like to find out more about my groups. Coming up in May and September next year, thecaminoexperience.com. Okay, shall we get to my guest for this episode? I would like to introduce you to Paul from Ireland, who will be doing the Camino Primitivo in April 2024. His original plan was to participate in an event on the Camino in October this year, but his plans changed, as plans do. I'll let Paul tell his story. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Nancy. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited. You know, when you sent in your request to be on the podcast, I was so intrigued by your story. It's very different from the stories of every other pilgrim who I've talked to and all the others I have queued up for future interviews. So I just can't wait to see how this unfolds and find out what we learn about another way to experience Mm -hmm. the Camino. Uh, I'll be a more condensed and faster way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your Camino is going to be condensed and faster. And so, yeah, so we can weave that into the storytelling here. So let's start out by talking about your previous experience on the Camino, because I think that will really set the stage. And so you have already been on the Camino. Would you tell us about that, where you started and finished and time spent on the trail? I almost to the week this time last year completed the Sarea to uh, Santiago, 115, I think. Yes. The day before, I actually went from the cathedral to uh, Monte de Gozo. Monte de Gozo? Yes. So I did another 10 or 15 kilometers the day before we actually did the 115. I did it as part of a race. A 24-hour race from Saria, starting at, I think it was like 6 in the morning or something on the Saturday morning, and then finishing within a 24-hour window the, that night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. So it took me about, I think it was about 19 or 20 hours or something myself. Um, there was a lot of people doing it, and not just people that were running as such. Uh, there was people that were hiking it as part of the race. So they had 24 hours to try and make that cut off and to to get to, to Santiago and they were genuine pilgrims they had they were full kit like I seen some people with 65 liter rucksacks like honest to goodness 65 liter rucksacks um so fair play to them they're better people than me <laughs> <laughs> better or different priorities I think yeah so I want to make sure that everybody caught that that this Camino experience took place within a 24 hour window so there were no overnights at albergues There were no long leisurely pilgrim meals. There were no long leisurely stops at the bar to sip coffee and talk to your friends. One. One. You had one. All right. So I know that everyone's going, why? Why would you do this? So would you share with us? So I've always wanted to do the Camino for a very long time. And for me, because I'm so busy and stuff with, like I've got a young family, I, you know, I, I have a busy job and all the juggling that goes on with a young family and everything else. And then we bought a new house that required a bunch of work. So I'm working on that. And so anyway, so busy, basically. And I've always wanted to do the Camino. So I've always kind of looked out for something that would allow me to do it, but within a more condensed way. And I thought about doing it off my own back and and then this kind of popped up on my radar from I do a bit of kind of ultra distance running or that kind of thing, adventure racing and that kind of stuff. And I seen this and I was like, this is literally everything I wanted. So I get to do the Camino. I get a bit of the experience. I get to do a race. And then I combine that with raising some money for for a, a charity that's close, close to families' hearts. Yeah, so that's how, that's how I, that's, that's exactly what or how and when and why we, I ended up doing it. It was it was something I wanted. I the Camino has been something I wanted to do for a very long time since I first came across it in the documentary, maybe twenty thirteen or something like that. And I've been trying to find ways that I could do it, and 
I've always thought about the, the French Camino. I've never wanted to do, you know, a couple of days here, a couple of days there kind of thing. I always see a, see a thing like that as being you start and you finish and you complete that distance. That's just my head. So this was that in, in a, a kind of a, a shortened way, as in it was a race. So it's an official start and finish. It's also an official shorter distance of the, the Camino. So you start in Saria and you finish in Santiago. And you actually finish, you finish in Monte de Gozo and then you kind of, that's the, where the, the race finish line is kind of. Mm-hmm. But then you go to, there's another finish line because they can't erect the big thing at the at the, the cathedral or whatever. So you go there anyway to an, an official, a, a second official finish or whatever you want to call it. So you still, you do continue on to, to the cathedral. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Oh my gosh. So just to clarify for people who haven't yet walked the Camino, Monte de Gozo is on the outskirts of the city of Santiago. It's maybe what, another five kilometers to the yeah. cathedral? Yeah. yeah. And so you get to Monte de Gozo and big open space and there's a giant albergue with hundreds of beds and these two iconic statues of pilgrims with their arms in the air, and you can see the spires of the cathedral off in the distance, and then you go, oh, okay, I'm not done. (laughs) You still have to keep going. Yeah. So one question that comes to mind for me is the pilgrim experience, and one of the things that many people treasure about the Camino is that you get your pilgrim's passport, and you collect stamps along the way, and then you get the Compostela. Was that part of your experience in this race? Uh, I have my pilgrim's passport behind me that they give you for the longer distance race. Now, I'll be honest, I never got my credential. I just didn't get around to it. Okay. But I do have my stamps and stuff. <laughs> ah, and did you meet the requirement of two stamps a day? Yeah, yeah, we did. Actually, I'll tell a lie. I, because I never went on to the cathedral, I'm short one. Okay. You get me? Yes. But yeah, I and, and that was part of the longer distance race. So there is a shorter one. Uh, and what they do is they actually you start in, in at the at the the alberga or the hostel in Monte de Gozo the morning before. And you get like four in the morning okay. and bus you to Saria. Or they bus you to I can't remember where the other one is, but there's a 60k distance as well. Now if you do the 60k one, you don't, that's not you part don't. of the Camino. So you don't get they don't give you your your passport or any of that kind of stuff to to complete the the stamps along the way. Okay. Yeah. So, so I do have the stamps. I do have I do have the passport, but I don't have the certificate. There was a queue a mile long the next day, and okay, my body wasn't in the humor. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's it. Not standing up anymore. Wow. So that that sounds like an incredibly intense experience. Yeah. What was it like? What was going through your mind as you're completing these 115 kilometers around the clock? At the start, it was brilliant. I loved it. And I did a few little tiny videos at the start and kind of, kind of not blogs, I won't say blogs, but I was getting the experience. I was getting, it was lovely in the morning. It, we started in the dark, obviously. And then after a couple of hours, it started brightening up and it was a nice day. As far as, I can't remember maybe halfway through, it was, it was quite nice. And I I was getting a bit of a pilgrim experience. So there was, you know, we were passing people at one point and they were Banquino, Banquino, it was lovely. And one or two of the sections where there's really steep uphills, you don't run them like, you would generally kind of power hike them up like to save your legs because if you're going for 115 kilometers, you have to kind of plan it a bit, a bit wiser. So... There was chats with other pilgrims and they're like, why do you have the number and what's the, and you're like, yeah, I'm running it. And they're like, you're running it? Where are you running to? And Santiago. And they're like, and like, how long do you have this couple of days? And we're like, no, no, I have to be finished in like, like this time. And they're, you're not well. <laughs> you're nuts. <laughs> like, are you serious? <laughs> but they were quite nice about it. They were like, best of luck. And, you know, it was lovely. And, and a lot of them that I seen at that time of the year, they weren't English speakers, so they were, it was French and Germans, and I think maybe one or two Italians I spoke to. Everybody that did the race was Spanish, bar me and another guy. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
sorry, that's not true. It was one French guy, but he lives in Spain. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very good. So you were the imported yeah. racers. We were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people that organized it, nobody spoke English. So it was a bit, it was, uh, it was a bit of Google Translate going on when we were collecting our, our passport thing and registering and stuff. It was a bit of, but it was fine. And I can, actually, a lot of the latter part of, uh, that, that I noticed anyway, a lot of the latter part going through the small towns and villages, none of the, the locals really spoke any English, which I, mm. I was very surprised at because it's such a huge tourist thing, the Camino itself, that they had very, they didn't, some of them had no English at all. You're like, because mm. there's a few sections there where for me now, I wasn't sure where I was going. Especially actually when you get into, when you start coming in towards Santiago and you're along the, the, the kind of motorways down on your, your right-hand side and the airport's in the distance kind of thing or you're passing yeah. the airport. There's a tour, there's a couple of turns there where you're like, I'm not, I'm not really, I got, I need to go back and just, I'm not really sure here. Especially when it's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, and it's dark, Yes. Did you follow the yellow arrows and trail markers or did they set up other markers for you? No, you follow the yellow trail markers. There are one or two sections where they would have a little deviation arrow. And what the deviation arrow is, you know the way you have in some sections of the Camino, you have, I don't, I'm not sure what they're called. There's two different ways for the same, but they both meet up. Yes. Alternative route. Sorry. Yeah. Alternative route. Why is that, by the way? What's the purpose of that? I'm not sure there's a universal answer for that for the entire route. There are a couple places from Saria to Santiago where the terrain gets a little rough. Mm. And so they give you a longer one and a shorter one. And the shorter one usually has the harder terrain. So okay. they just make it a little bit easier. There's another spot where the trail goes over a river, a very small river, but it's a stone bridge. And some people either physically or psychologically aren't able to cross on those rocks. So they yeah. put another alternative to avoid crossing the river that way. Okay. Yeah. So in those, in certain sections, they might have an arrow saying, take this one instead of that one. Okay. But in general, you follow the Camino route. I mean, they do give you an actual GPS download that you could have on a watch or a device or whatever, just in case. I did have that initially, but uh, my watch decided to uh, die and my phone decided to die. So I wasn't really 100% sure. So you were out there, out there on the road. For hours on end, I didn't see a soul, especially in the wow. forest section. I was completely by myself for hours and hours on end. How did that feel? How did that experience for you? I don't mind it. I'm used to, I'm used to running in the woods and stuff back here and, and stuff. I would say there are some of them forests at night are very creepy if you were that way inclined. And at one point, I was quite delirious and I was hallucinating a little bit. So mm. with the Camino, uh, there's a certain level from watching videos and podcasts and all that kind of stuff of like and it, the experience and like the, the pain and the, the hardship you go through, especially over like 37 days or whatever you do it in running it. I run at that 115. You experience that, but more condensed. Definitely, you get the pain and suffering. Yeah. Uh, very much so. And probably more, maybe, than the general Camino hiker. Like, if you're running like that a lot of the times, you always have trouble with, with food and nutrition. Mm -hmm. Well, I personally will always have problems with my stomach. And then, you know, water trying to keep on water and salts and dehydration getting sick oh yeah it's a huge amount of exertion so you get a lot 90 probably 80 90 percent of people that do events like that at some point in time get experience everything that an individual might experience across a longer 37 mm -hmm. days or 40 days or whatever 30 days somebody might do and then you have to be careful about what you eat because you're like well I can't chance that that squid or that octopus because if it's not right, I'm in big trouble here. Oh, yeah, that's not going to go well at all. No, no, no. Oh, my goodness. How many people were involved in, in this race? How many people were out running and walking that day? For the longer one, 
for the one that I did the the the, the full distance, I would say probably three or four hundred, maybe. Hmm, that's a guess. Okay. That's a big guess. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And then the other one, the shorter one, there was more. There was definitely more that the the that, that I was aware of that signed up. Ah, okay. So when you were doing this, I, I'm curious, you know, the, the Camino de Santiago is a pilgrimage route. Yeah. Did you consider yourself a pilgrim on this? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. I don't think so. And I put it out there on one of the forums, actually. So uh, you asked me about the reaction that other pilgrims had. And I had fantastic reaction by everyone on the Camino. Like mm-hmm. everybody was so nice. They were they're just so, so nice. I couldn't say everybody. But on the forums, I had one or two people that were not nice at all that said, oh, you're not a pilgrim, which I was like, I didn't say I was a pilgrim. And I gave them that, like, I suffer too, by the way. <laughs> like they did for their, for their long distance. But anyway, I, I don't really mind whether someone considers me a pilgrim or not, but I definitely got a lot of backlash or not a lot, but some backlash off the forum specifically. It's so interesting. Yeah. I noticed yeah. that in the Facebook groups too, that people get a little aggressive and very judgmental about how people yeah. do the Camino and how they spend their time. And and when you're on the trail, I don't see it as much. No, no. But in saying that on the forums, that the, the, some of the people that were not so nice, the other people on the forums actually defended me, which oh, was lovely. Very nice. Because I didn't defend myself. I was just like, okay, I'm not a pilgrim. What's yeah. your definition of a pilgrim? And nobody would reply to that. Oh. Other people on the forum, and not just one or two, but a lot of people said, well done, you know, fair play to you for, like, you did this for charity, you're brilliant, and you are a pilgrim. And this, that, like, there was a lot, a lot of people, like, were very very nice and it was the <laughs> odd one and the ones that were not so nice a lot of people stuck up for me and it was never a rebuttal oh they didn't come back and defend their position <laughs> no none of them zero <laughs> of them it's interesting too as we have this expectation that every single person we encounter or who says they're on the camino must be a pilgrim but mm. really the requirement to be a pilgrim is that you well I mean, who knows what the requirement is to be a pilgrim? The Catholic Church in Santiago says that in order to be a pilgrim, you must complete certain rituals, such as traverse at least the final 100 kilometers with an attitude of seeking or a spiritual or religious motivation. And then you can get the Compostela that says, you know, you completed the pilgrimage. But I think we could probably get into a lengthy and healthy debate at some point about what it means to be a pilgrim, and do you have to be a pilgrim to be on the Camino? Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, the experience that you get from doing a pilgrimage like the Camino, you know, you're kind of seeking to find yourself, let's say, or you learn a lot of stuff about yourself. You kind of, you learn a lot about your your deep personality, whatever. Every single person, and you can go and look at any of the, any of the documentaries and any of the forums or anything, and I'm just speaking to people that do the long distance or the ultra hiking or the ultra marathons. Every single one of those people come out with that profound, the same, it's the exact same thing. They come out and they've learned every single time they do one of these long distance things. They learn more about themselves. They learn more about why they do what they do. They they kind of, a, a lot of them become spiritual, which is a, which is a, is, is an interesting thing. A lot of them, like, I mean, if you go and look at any form, so it's, that's the, that's probably my, the, the thing I'll say that the, the comparison is that they're the same. I know it's, it's a different format, but you're getting the same out of it. You're, you are evolving mm. from the hardship or the struggle that you go through. You kind of, you ask the question, why, which everybody asks at some point, if you do the Camino, I need people to walk it. They always at some point go, you know, they kind of, why am I to put myself through this? Yes. What am I? Oh, it's the exact same. It's the it's identical for anybody who does ultra distance events. They at some point, and it's usually when you're getting sick because you can't eat and you can't drink anymore, and your feet are blistered up, and 
you know, you've kicked that big rock about an hour ago and you've broken toes oh. and you're like, why am I doing this? Eventually, you come to the same conclusion. Like, you start to kind of think, well, there's more to this. And definitely it does open the same pathways in, in the brain, I think. Mm-hmm. As if you were doing a long hike or, or, or walk or, you know, like the Camino or whatever. Yeah. Here's what I find also interesting about your story is that you are going back. And so I'd yeah. love for you to share with us your plans for next year. What are you what are you going back to do? I was supposed to do it this year, but just the way things have fallen. So I am hoping that the plan is to go back in April of next year um, and do the Primitivo. I'm hoping to do it as a run uh, because I don't have the big window that everyone has. Now, I will be doing it in maybe four days, five days, something like that. I have it all worked out on maps and stuff, and I have my locations where I'm going to stop. And Okay, so hang on. You are going to stop and sleep. I will for this one. I won't just because of the way I've split it up. I've planned it over a couple of days. Okay. Just to be on the safe side, so I'm guaranteed that I, I finish and finish okay. Uh, I recently did a, did a race there um, in Ireland. It, it kind of technically is part of a, a way in Ireland as such which was a hundred and I think it was 102 kilometers or something like that. And it was really a training day to see because it's really, really tough. It's a really, really tough event and and the, and the terrain is quite tough to see how I would respond with different types of foods and stuff and, and just playing around with the distances and stuff. So it was a training day really for, for uh, the Primitivo, which I was planning to do in two weeks time. Um, and that's why that race three weeks ago was was kind of running for it. But plans have changed. I got injured on that race as well. So that falls into it. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to do the, the Primitivo over maybe, I'd like to say four days. And how many kilometers is that? It's averaging about 80. I think there's one 100 day in there. Okay. But the average is 80. 80 kilometers a day. And so what's the total? I don't know the total of the Primitivo. I think it's like 320 or 380. Okay, 320 kilometers over four days. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Wow, that to me is mind-blowing because I don't run. Mm. And if I get 15 kilometers a day or 20 kilometers a day, I'm like, yeah, good day. <laughs> it just reminds me again that we all are different people. We don't live our lives the same way. We don't have the same physical capabilities or even desire to have the same capabilities. And so we take that, we take us to the Camino. It's probably bad grammar, but we take, yeah, we take our, who we are, we take that to the Camino. So please tell me a little bit more about your plans and what, what you got on tap. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was supposed to do it in two weeks time and I have my flights and all booked, but that's, uh, that's gone now. So I hoping to do it in the first week or the first week of April. I had the dates written down somewhere. And what I'll do is if I can swing, if I can get the flights right, it's very hard to get a flight to Oviedo. Um, they're mm. very few and far between. Okay. So I did have a flight to Oviedo for two weeks time and it would fly in and I could start straight away. So my plan wow. was to get off the plane and just literally have my little few bits with me and then start from Oviedo and then do the first the first day is going to be 65k because it's because I fly in and I arrive at lunchtime. I wanted to get to an alberg or, or, or a hotel before dark that night and kind of just settle myself for the long day. And then the second day was my long day. Okay. I love this. You know, one of my philosophies is don't rush the start. And that's your version mm-hmm. of don't rush the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so my second day then is what will be my longest day anywhere, depending on how I feel. It will average, I'd say, about 100, 110 kilometers, something along those lines. I'm going to give myself, every day I'll give myself the maximum other than that first day. So I'll be getting up and starting at probably about 4 a.m., something like that, 4 or 5 a.m., and, and kicking off from then and trying to get in before dark. April, still going to be getting dark early enough. Yeah, short days. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you will probably know better than me, the weather is unpredictable even in April at that time of year. It is. So that's obviously, that's that's a challenge there in itself. I'll be self-supported. I'll be doing it by myself without anybody helping me and stuff. So 
feeding myself along the way in restaurants or anything I can find, shops and stuff, and picking up a few bits and pieces. And the same likewise when I fly over, so I'll be having a carry-on. I won't be putting that underneath the plane. So I can't really bring any kind of food stuff and, and, and that in the bag. So it's whatever I can get when I arrive. Okay. I'll just play it by here. So I'll be eating the pilgrim meals at some point. And um, yeah. And then the next day is 80. And I think the last day is 80. The last two days, I'm not sure about the distances. But it'll be the same for the last three days, as in I'll be getting up early and heading out early to try and maximize that day and not fall into the night time. And the last day I should finish if I I've kind of worked it out that I should finish at around the two o'clock mark that day. Okay. I'll run into the cathedral. And I've looked into you can book, you can I actually did it already for, for next week. You can pre-book your Compostela. Yeah. So you collect your ticket thing. So I've done that already. So I'm going to have to do it again when I go before I go next time. Yeah. And it just means then that you can rock up and grab a ticket and you can get your Compostela. It'll be ready there for you somewhere. Yeah. If I if I may, I'll just walk through that process a little bit. You can go to the website of the Pilgrim's Office in Santiago and there's a form that you fill out. You have a choice of an individual or a group and you put in your details of where you're starting, when you expect to arrive in Santiago and a couple other things. And you submit that and then they hold that in the queue until you get there and get your number, like at the deli counter, and you mm-hmm. get that number. I think there's another QR code involved and that cues them to print your Copastella. But yeah, they've already got it in there. They're already yeah. waiting for you. And you yeah. can do it at any time. I, I wanted to test the system. So about a month ago, I said, oh, let's pretend I'm arriving in September. And I punched it in and I don't know what happens to ones that never people never arrive they probably just go away but yeah so yeah it's super easy to do yeah so that that's going to be handy because i do want to that was my one regret actually afterwards in in hindsight that i didn't go and get my my uh compostella that like i collected all the stamps and along the way and stuff bar one in actually santiago but I'm sure I, I maybe I didn't need that. Maybe I just go into the pilgrim's office and that's the final. It is. It is the final stamp. And, and you can get stamps at other places in Santiago where you stay. But that final stamp at the pilgrim's office is mm. the final stamp for Santiago. I, I didn't. It didn't really. At the time, I was like, oh, there's queues a mile long. I was I was exhausted. I was wrecked. I had a bad day the day before. With, with nutrition and stuff and getting sick and not being able to keep stuff down. My, one of my feet was was pretty battered, especially running with wet feet in the last 15, 20 kilometers. So I wasn't in the humor, but I regret it. I should have just went and got it just just for for that. You know, I've, I've been wanting to do this thing for such a long time and that's kind of like the pinnacle. That's the like, did it, like that's that thing. Yeah, that's the acknowledgement that you completed it. Exactly. Yeah. And although I have a medal to say I finished, it's not the same thing. <laughs> now, this time, do you consider yourself a pilgrim? I will be going back with a different mindset. So I think so. Yeah, maybe. I think so. I'll let that other people judge that. I'm not like, I don't really mind if someone doesn't consider me a pilgrim for what I'm doing. Um, I'm doing it over a couple of days, so I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, I'll be staying in the albergas. Um, I'll feed myself along the way like everyone else maybe who knows you know it brings up a good question is whose opinion do we listen to does it matter to us what other people think about what we're doing and i think for many of us it does and we don't like to be well who likes to be judged or told you're wrong but ultimately i think the pilgrim identity is in the heart and mind of the person and so you can say whether you're a pilgrim or not. Yeah, yeah. Last year when I did it, I did it for a charity for my wife's nephew passed away from a a medical condition and he was only uh, six when he passed away. And so I ran for for, uh, the rare disease Ireland and I raised some money. And as part of that then, when I got, I didn't tell anybody this, so they only found out afterwards. No, well, they knew about raising the money and the charity thing, that was fine. But I got two shells in in Santiago and I brought them with me and I was doing the doing the, the run and when I came back I put them on 
his grave and his grandfather's grave. Just as a kind of a, I don't know what it was. It was um, just as a kind of say, like, you got me through this, if you get me. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't catch the relationship of who it was that passed. It was my my wife's brother's son. Oh gosh. He would have been quite close. Uh, they would have been quite close to the family. It was my actual wife's uh, godchild. Oh, I'm so sorry. What a devastating loss. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the, it was just unfortunate the he had a medical condition and it was it was late diagnosed since birth and his brother has it too. They were able to get the experimental medical treatment in Italy, and although he has he has physical issues and, and a little bit, of, he's still here, and he's gone past the age that his brother was when his brother passed away. So, yeah, well, yeah. So that was that was one of the one of the reasons for doing it last year. It was kind of like I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be quite tough. I'm flying to another country. I'm going to be running this distance. I want to raise some awareness for this charity. Yeah, it's a small charity. Maybe like off the suffering of of me running this distance, but more so raise awareness, but raise some some vital funds for it. Yeah. Um, so next year when I go back and do it, the primitivo, I'm probably gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna do it for the same charity more than likely. Yeah. So that that will be that the the uh, the kicking off of the, of of the, that run as well. So yeah. You know what it just reminds me is that. Until we know somebody's story, we really have no place to make any judgment about how they're doing anything in life. Mm. You know, if somebody saw you run on by and learn that you completed the Camino in 19 hours, they'll come up with all kinds of judgments and opinions about that. But knowing your backstory and knowing your motivation to doing it, that shifts it. Yeah. Not that it should, you know, it would be lovely if we didn't judge right out of the gate at all. But hearing your story, I doubt there's anybody listening who would question that you have the heart of a pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's probably where you asked me about the spirituality and the thing. I think that's where that's kind of started to come from. That and a couple of other people pass away throughout the, the, the last few years that you kind of, I don't know, from a spirituality point of view, you you start to go well i'd love to see those people again and, and you kind of think well maybe there's there's more to this and you know that kind of thing so yeah yeah and that was kind of the premise for the, the, the shells as well it was like you know i hope you can see this kind of thing you know like you got me through this and it was tough and i'm thinking of you kind of thing so yeah yep i often think that as humans we long to believe in something bigger and bolder and something more more than who we are as humans yeah yeah i i wouldn't have thought that way maybe only two years ago but i've definitely changed my tune and i would have been brought up catholic very catholic my grandparents were massive catholic and my mom even would go to mass a lot (laughs) and and my wife's mom would be in the church nearly every single day she worked she kind of like volunteers in the church and stuff so there's a lot of that around us Mm. Do you know much about um, pilgrimage in Ireland? No. You want to share a little bit about that? It's actually quite interesting. I didn't know a whole lot about it up until about a year and a half ago. So there's things called mass paths in Ireland. Do you, have you ever heard of a mass, the mass paths? No. So back in the, the 16th, 17th, 18th century, through those, through, through those centuries, Catholicism was banned in Ireland by the British who were obviously trying to rule us or whatever. And it was against the law. It was outlawed. And it was it was also to try and stop people gathering and kind of make it, taking up their own opinions about, you know, hang on, you just can't take our land and tell us what to do. So you couldn't go to church. So in order to get around that, people had like secret, like you go over this ditch and through this forest and, Go around or across this river, and there was, there was these uh, secret paths where you'd go to it. You'd find a, a a rock, which was the mass rock or the the mass. There was loads of different variations of it, but it was where you would meet the priest, and he would do a mass, a secret mass. Oh. So there's loads of these little Camino type things all around Ireland. They're still here. There's a good few of them that are heritage sites now, and they're walks and stuff. But they all lead 
to either like a, a 17th century standing rock or whatever for mass. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so a pilgrimage in Ireland is 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 going back from like we had our own pilgrimage for a different reason, but it's uh, a thing. Yeah, it's a thing, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and then recently, um, they opened the uh, Celtic Camino, the Celtic side of the Camino in Ireland, where you complete thirty kilometers here, starting in Bray, and you go out as as far as uh, Saint James's Church in Dublin, and then you add that on to your Camino Inglés from a Coronia to Santiago and you get your Compostela because you completed your 100 kilometers. Mm. There was a Spanish minister over and a couple of other things, a couple of other people and they officially opened it only last week and they have wow. the, uh, this, the proper Camino stone and the whole lot, yeah. Oh, wow. So that's another thing that people who live in Ireland can jump on that and just start to get into the mindset of pilgrimage, the heart of being a pilgrim. And start there. And and again, it's another way for people who don't have a lot of time to participate yeah. and to complete the pilgrimage. Yeah. Because I was not raised Catholic, but my understanding is that in the Catholic tradition, this is significant. It mm. is part of something that people intentionally complete the pilgrimage as part of their faith tradition. Yeah. So it is starting to get more and more popular again. I think I think people have gone away from religion in Ireland mm. for the last 10 or 15 years and it, they're starting to come back a little bit mm. or maybe spirituality is probably a better a better word to describe what's starting to, to happen mm. and definitely even that Celtic Camino is becoming very very popular and there's a few other ones around the country but that's the first official official one that has been like opened and like there's there's a there's another one in Glendalock where you can get your stamps and everything. There's actually a good few more and more around Ireland. And that's um, that follows a saint as well. I can't remember off the top of my head. Will you complete the Celtic Camino before you go to Spain? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, actually, probably this week. <laughs> oh, wow. And will you run that one as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what, a, you know, before lunch, 30 kilometers. 30k yeah like before before coffee just go run two and a half hour or something yeah. yeah i met a man on the camino last year who was running i met him way at the beginning it was shortly after roncesvalles and oh. he was across the dinner table at me and i just I, I looked at the little pack that he was carrying and how i mean he clearly had a different level of fitness than i did and i just was like okay i'll never see you again yeah. lovely to share dinner yeah. buen camino yeah, yeah. Is there anything else to share about the Celtic Camino or anything else in Ireland? I'm sure you're aware we have our own Celtic office that's actually in St. James's uh, Cathedral in Dublin. I think it's a cathedral. St. James's Church, actually, sorry. They have an official Camino store shop. And mm. if you do that Celtic Camino and you get your stamps, you do actually get a Compostela at the end, an actual proper Compostela cert. And they give you that. From that church? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My housemate is Irish. And I think that before she walked the Camino in 2015, I think she went to that church and went to, went to Dublin, went to that church and, and connected to her Irish roots before she started walking the Camino. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a common, that's actually, it's actually very, very big in Ireland. Yeah. The Camino as as a whole, there will be a hell of a lot of people from Ireland. I'm sure you've come across loads of them that go out and do it. I have. And maybe the connecting line is the Catholicism, is that the Camino de Santiago is in origin a Catholic pilgrimage. Yeah. Well, Christian Catholic. Christian, yeah. Yeah, and now managed by the Catholic Church. Yeah, because the Camino actually in Ireland, the Celtic Camino, one of the stamps you get is in a Protestant Presbyterian church. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's actually the second one you get, funny enough. So, oh, yeah. you know, I'm going to have to come do this now. You've yeah, talked me into 30K, it. It's only 30K. Like, that's ah, not a big deal. That'll only take me three days. <laughs> come in August or maybe uh, July when the weather's a bit better. Yes, I think I will wait for that. Yeah, I am a fan of Ire- Ireland. I do have some family, I believe County, it's either County Clare or County Cook. I can't remember which one. We're obviously not close, but... Well, um, you have a You have a very... Nancy Reynolds is a very Irish name, to be fair. Oh, is it? Well, you know what? My maiden name is Close, C-L-O-S-E. So let me give a shout out to any of the Close family yeah. and relations in Ireland. Close is an Irish name as well. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Very good. 
Well, I'm curious, you know, I always ask about preparations and how do you get ready for the Camino and any challenges or frustrations? Would you, I don't even know how you would prepare and pack for something like this. Would you just talk for a few minutes about that? There's a lot in planning it, obviously, because if you're only bringing a certain amount of stuff and you're trying to be light, the gear that you bring is very, is is crucial. So for me, uh, rain gear would be my warm clothing, let's say. So mm-hmm. what what I mean is I just use that as an outer sheet to to warm me up. It'll keep the the heat in and I'll get warm if I get do get cold and I need to get cold. So I wouldn't bring I wouldn't bring a lot of thermal kind of stuff or I wouldn't mm-hmm. it would literally be I would generally just maybe two pairs of shorts if for for let's say next year I'll have one on me and maybe one in the bag, but they have to be like micro pack. I'll have maybe two tops including the one on me, a couple of buffs. I wouldn't have a hat. Or maybe I'll have a baseball cap just for in case it's sunny or whatever, because I am, I melt. <laughs> Sun doesn't like me. And uh, and then a couple of changes of socks are like, foot care is very important. Very, very important. Every pilgrim knows that. Like, I mean, that's, that's a given. Like It is. I don't know what you wear, but I usually wear toe socks. Okay. Those have become very popular amongst the walkers too. Yeah. The only thing about the toe socks, funny enough, is because they grip so so well at the toes, you tend to get chafing at the back of your heel. So you just need to be careful. Okay. Yeah, because it can't slide at the front, so you'll find that it'll you might get some rolling at the back of the heel. Mm, okay. Yeah. So a couple of pairs of socks, water bottles. I usually have two seven fifties and a and a one point five liter in the back, and that's pretty much it. Maybe a toothbrush and call it a day. I have a cut toothbrush to at that size. About three inch long toothbrush. Okay, yeah, the micro, about micro my toothbrush. Yeah, yeah. Tiny <laughs> little toothbrush, little little toothpaste. And how big is your pack? How how many liters and how much does it weigh? It's like a spandex type of a thing. So it doesn't weigh, I think it only weighs maybe 200 grams or something. Okay, and loaded? When I load it up, oh... With water and everything else, probably around seven kilos, six, seven kilos, maybe. Just with all the water and stuff. Probably half of that is water. Uh, yeah. Yeah. More than half would be water and maybe like picking up some bars and food and bits and pieces. Uh, salt tablets are really important. So, yeah, that kind of stuff really would be the main bulk of it. There would be no weight in the clothes or any of the stuff you'd be bringing. It would be, there'd be nothing in it. Like, there'd be less than half a kilo, I'd say way less than half a kilo, including the pack. And then you put your water and your wow. bits and pieces and you stock up on food and stuff. That's what that's what brings it up. Uh, I've never weighed it, actually. I think you told me it's a 10-liter pack. It is a 10-liter pack, yeah. Yeah, that's tiny. Yeah, I've loads of them, as you can see. But uh, the one that I will run with, that I was training with on the race I did only a couple of weeks ago was a 10-liter one. And uh, it's super, super light. It's like kind of a... A mesh flexi neck kind of a thing so yeah that's okay yeah ah wow well i so appreciate hearing your story and getting another perspective of how to approach the camino and to really set aside you set aside your time restrictions and said you know i'm doing it my way yeah and that's gonna happen that's really admirable yeah it will happen (laughs) um yeah no it's it's like I think everybody has their own journey when it comes to something like that. And uh, you need to decide what way you want to do it if you decide that you are going to do it. I work nights and kind of always the back end, the back end of the week. Like I finished work this morning. Okay. And uh, I usually put YouTube on in the background and fall asleep. <laughs> For months and months, it's usually like mini documentaries that people have made about the Camino. I've started looking at the Camino in Glaze because there's a good chance I'm probably going to do that as well. And everybody has a different story but it it's nearly always if you get when you get to Santiago they always have the same reaction if you ever watch any of them they always have like a profound um it's it's actually funny I was thinking about this earlier and the difference between somebody that runs it and somebody that hikes it let's say is the person that runs it in my experience and any of the, the ultra stuff at some point at some point you just go I just want to get finished now. Like yeah. I'm I'm wrecked here. I just want to get finished. And the person that hikes it, if you look at any of the documentaries, they're dreading the end of it. 
they are always like, oh, I want to keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of at the halfway through, if you watch any of these documentaries, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm wrecked now. And, and then as they're getting closer to the end, especially when they get to, to Monte, Monte Gozo or whatever, and they get to Santiago, they feel like, I, I just, I don't want this, don't want this to end. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same thing happens about two days after for the runner. So anybody that does any of the long distance endurance stuff. Two days after? A day, maybe the next day. You go, I'm never doing that again. That that was horrendous. I'm never doing that again. And then within a day, you're like, what's next? I need to do that again. Like wow. I missed that feeling while I was on it. I missed that. And then you go to appreciate, like, I wish I was still doing it, you know? So you do have that crossover where it's just slightly the opposite in the sense that the, the walker wants uh. to keep going. Oh, I, I don't want this to end now. The runner is like, I just can't wait for this to be over. And then when you get to the end and you kind of surpass it, you're like, oh, I wish I was still doing this. Those, I, And I think that's the experience, what you learn from about yourself. That when you get when you get to the end, you're like, I, I just need more of this. I need mm-hmm. I need it's it's just opened. It's opened my world up. You know, it's, it's expanded the way I think or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be intoxicating. We do want more. Yeah, we want definitely. more love. We want more connection. We want more community. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever version of that works for the individual. I think we yeah. have more more in common than we have things that keep us apart. A million percent, definitely. Yeah. 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 Oh, very good. Well, we could probably just wrap it up there. I mean, that's just such good wisdom. Before we do, though, do you have any questions I can answer for you? I mean, you're you're a veteran of the Camino, so you might not oh, have any I'm questions. Oh, I'm not sure I'm a veteran. <laughs> I did actually have questions. All uh, right, what you got? I have written down somewhere. Hang on a second now. What's your experience of the weather in April? You've been oh. <laughs> on and off at loads of times. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I've ever been on the Camino in April. I'm usually a May girl because true confession i'm a fair weather pilgrim mm-hmm. and i like to have nice weather and you see you can see my video i mean my photo behind us i'm a blue sky puffy white clouds girl yeah yeah, yeah. yeah full on but the thing about the weather is predictably unpredictable yeah and so what i always tell pilgrims especially those in my groups and others who i help get ready is to just be prepared for whatever weather you're going to get mm. and that's about all you can do I yep. always have a layer for warmth and a layer for waterproof, no matter when I'm going to be on the trail. And that's mm-hmm. about all you can do. Yeah. The thing about pilgrimage is we're out there for a long period of time. You've got a shorter version, but yep. a, a walking pilgrim especially is going to be out there for weeks mm. and you can expect a variety of weather. It's yeah. just part of being outdoors for an extended period of time. So again, the key is to be prepared for whatever you might get. Very good. And do you have a specific experience that you recommend doing while on the Camino or a thing that everybody you think everybody should do while you're there, go to this place or definitely go and eat here or just something? Is there is there a few? I'm sure you have loads. I do have loads. Yeah. So I, I don't know the Primitivo, so I can't specifically say anything about that. Well, I'll get closer to Santiago some days. So. <laughs> yeah. So Santiago, I first of all, love Spanish cities. I just Mm -hmm. love them. And what I love about them is that they all have an historic center. So it never feels like a big city. Mm. Now, Madrid and Barcelona, of course, feel like big cities, but Leon, Burgos, Pamplona, Logroño, Santiago, to me, feel like small, compact city center towns. It just feels like a community. Yep. For me, it's being in the historic center and just walking around, observing local life. Mm -hmm. Specifically in Santiago, I would definitely visit the Pilgrimage Museum. It's in the plaza right below the door where you enter the cathedral. And the word in Spanish is peregrinación. So it's the Museo de Peregrinación. And it has just wonderful interpretive displays about the history of the Camino Mm -hmm. of Santiago and of the city and the cathedral. And it is in three different languages, including English. So it's a it's just a great place to pop in and get some experience. Very good. Really good information about what you've just done. Yeah. Yeah. So I would I would say that. A restaurant? 
you know, I have, I'm a vegetarian. And so that does limit me a little bit. I'm not one to go find a Michelin star restaurant because it will be mostly meat based. So for me, it's not a good, it's not good value. Yeah. Yeah. Casa Marcelo is very highly rated. It's just down the street from the Pilgrim's office and they have a Michelin star. So the food should be exquisite, but there is a street that radiates off the cathedral that goes Mm. between the cathedral and the park, the Alameda Park, and that's filled with tapas bars. And so just a stroll down there and pop in wherever you recognize your friends up at the bar getting tapas. Yeah, yeah. They focus largely on seafood. So if that's your thing, there's some great choices. What I can attest to is the ice cream in Santiago (laughs) because I am an ice cream girl, a dessert girl for sure. And so when you get close to Parque Alameda, there's this little corner. It's not not a full-on plaza, but there are three ice cream shops right across and around in that little area right there. They're all wonderful, but most people swear by the one that's called Pico de Cheado, which is ice cream kiss. Pico de Cheado. And yeah, and so you can't go wrong with any of them, but ice cream in Santiago is is one of my stops. Very good. I like ice cream too. <laughs> Pilgrim's Meals, the shared Pilgrim's Meals are just a wonderful way to connect and to get a sense of how global this Camino is, how Mm. global the community of Pilgrims is. When you sit at a table and there are five different languages being spoken as people break bread and share wine. Yeah. Yeah, I get get choked up every time. Yeah. Yeah. That that would be my hope is to get as part of this one is to stop and and, and stay in Albergas and get that kind of that section of the experience to be there in the evening early enough that I can get the meal and have the chats and then get to bed early kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And I will say you you don't have to stay at the albergues to participate in the shared meals, but you might have to coordinate them yourself. So if you're staying at an hostel or a hotel or other Mm. guest house, you might have to connect with your friends on the trail before you go check in and say, hey, let's meet for dinner and, Uh, and bring people together. It's not so much where it's happening, but the fact that it is a group of pilgrims intentionally sharing a meal together. So that can be at the bar, that can be at a restaurant. Yeah, so anywhere. Yeah, that's good because that's that's the other concern for me doing this thing is I need to get, if I'm only getting four or five hours sleep, I need to be like four or five hours sleep. Good hours. Exactly. So where to sleep, where to sleep is, is uh, I don't want a bunch of snores in a room. With me yeah. Boy, and predictably, that's what you get in the albergues. Yes, yes. And I had a few places kind of written down on the locations where I'm planning on stopping for each day. Okay. A hotel, an alberg, just kind of looking at the, review, <laughs> at the reviews and stuff and trying to figure out as I get closer where exactly I'm, I'm going to stay. Yeah, and it's tricky because you could find great reviews and that could be written by someone who was there with their group of friends. Mm. They had a great hospitalero. The facility was nice and clean. Yeah. And then if you come six months later, a year later, two days later, yeah. and you're with a completely different group of people, maybe there's a different hospitalero. It won't be the same experience. And you'll be scratching yeah. your head going, what did they love about this? And the converse is true. You could read a bad review mm. and go, you know what? If I'm there with my friends, it's going to be great. Yeah. So one of the challenges, though, of doing the Camino the way you're doing it is you will meet people, you'll share a meal, you'll have a wonderful connecting experience, and then you won't see them again. Never see them again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, yeah. It's not necessarily bad, but it is, it is something to just know about. Yeah. I think that the the Camino is quite interesting in the sense with regards to that, like the way you could chat to someone for, five minutes or you could just say buen camino and that's it yeah. and that's a very irish thing just saying hello and like everyone in ireland says hello to each other but that doesn't mean you're meant to have a conversation with them yeah you're not in a relationship <laughs> no, no no everyone <laughs> says hello it's funny we have students and uh, that's they all say any of the students that we've ever had have always asked us that question everyone says hello but when i start talking to them they just kind of keep walking everyone says hello to everybody but that's not 
an invitation to burn their ears. <laughs> oh, it's good to know this the cues. Yeah. Hello. Good to know the social social cues. Yeah. I love it. Well, and it's common too in Spain, people say hola, hola buenos yeah. dias, and then they move on. You know, yeah. but the Spanish, on the other hand, will happily stop and talk to you. Having chats. Yeah. Many people will, not everybody. They won't always have the time. Uh, any other questions, Paul? Uh, no, none that I can think of off the top of my head. All right. Well, it's just been a pleasure talking with you and it's hearing your perspective on you. this. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time. And I will look forward to connecting after you do this. I'd love Definitely. to have you have you back to tell your story again. Definitely. Yeah, great. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.